1: Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. I'm Marina Fogel and today's topic covers probably the most important question new parents ask themselves. What do our babies actually need from their parents? In the 21st century we spent a lot of time thinking about the things we think matter. The buggy, how cute the baby grows are, whether or not we'll succumb to the dummy, and often the most important questions don't get addressed. So today we're talking about the things that we can do as parents that have the most fundamental impact on our children, their development and their emotional well-being. So I'm joined today by two doctors. I've got uh, Dr. Kiara Hunt, uh, my co-founder of The Parenthood. Lovely to have you here, Kiara, again. Uh, and my sister. Um, same person, by the way, Uh, and also Dr. Catherine Hollins, a child, parent, and family psychiatrist and psychotherapist. She says that her focus is on strengthening relationships between children and their parents from pregnancy into the early years by addressing emotional distress, trauma, social difficulties, and mental health problems that may be getting in the way of health and happiness. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Now... The first thing that struck me when we talked about uh, this podcast was that you felt that the, we needed to talk about the emotional needs of, of parents, even while they're pregnant, and that impact that the emotional well-being might be having on their unborn child. I've got to be honest, it was something that never even occurred to me. I thought, you know, as long as you took your folic acid, and as long as you, you know, didn't smoke and didn't drink and ate sort of vaguely the right thing, your baby would sort of hatch and you were doing the right thing. It's a totally new concept to me, the idea that, if you're happy and content uh, or not, that that might have an impact on your unborn child.
2: Yes. Well, thanks for having me here. It's (laughs) a delight to join you. And it's a good place to start, isn't it, with pregnancy and what the experience might be for this growing child and how, as a mother or father, you might be able to begin parenting even in pregnancy. I mean, it does sound a strange idea, doesn't it? Um, And I think, though, what, what we know now pretty strongly is that that early environment that you're providing really matters. Now, of course, in a way, this needs a government health warning because here we are starting talking about what matters for children and all of us as mothers and all three of us sitting here are mothers know that we get very guilty very quickly about what we haven't done or what we're going to do or what we think we should have done and and I guess we all want to say to the mums and dads listening the mums and mums and dads to be who are listening as well that it's all right you know <laughs> little by little and we can learn new things and do our best um that's that's enough actually because yeah, I did definitely read that and felt I definitely had a couple of big fights
1: with my husband when I was pregnant <laughs> yes. did that impact my child yes yeah and the guilt is a hard
0: thing to let the go the guilt's of too. a big thing
2: isn't it so and so things are out of mm, our control as
0: well there are of periods of life that are. are stressful and if one happens to be pregnant at that time you can't always just get rid of the stress because you want to No, exactly.
2: So with all of that in our minds, um, I'm going to be courageous enough to say that it does matter. (laughs) Um, But we can do things about it. So one of the things I think is to be aware of what it feels like to be pregnant. You know, what's it like for you being pregnant? What's it like for your partner if you have one? How are you feeling about the fact you're going to be a parent? And And, and I think
1: for a lot of women, anxiety. I mean, for me, I had a miscarriage with my first baby. And then after the second pregnancy, I was terrified that I would have another miscarriage. So obviously there are anxiety levels there. Yes. I I could try to control. Yes. I suppose it's making time. Yes. Isn't it? Absolutely. Whether it's mindfulness or seeking support, emotional support. Or talking about it. Or even just admitting that you're feeling vulnerable and scared. Absolutely. And apprehensive.
2: And being honest enough to say it. And knowing that actually you're not alone. Most people feel like that. Um, And putting the feelings into words is the first step, isn't it? And then finding ways of sharing it. Uh, If you have family or friends you can do that with. Or if not, finding other people. You know, if you're really struggling to think, gosh, I don't know that I can do this for whatever the reason is. If your fear is very powerful, maybe finding more more professional help. Um,
1: From a sort of um, chemical point of view, I'm I'm very aware that I'm the only doctor, not the only (laughs) person that's not a
2: doctor sitting in this room.
1: Is it the adrenaline that potentially is is bad?
2: Yes, I think what we know now is that. it's, it's really to do with how we respond to stress and so the cortisol levels that are produced, the adrenaline or to be momentarily medical, um, the hypothalamo-pituitary-adrenal axis. HPA axis this is the bit (laughs) this is the bit uh, of the body that the fetus is developing and it's partly how they develop their own way of managing stress their own way of reacting to things that are difficult and do we
0: know when that develops in a baby
2: it's it's I mean there are in pregnancy is a very important time because what we know is that it's the chronic experience of stress and anxiety during pregnancy that seems to matter of course there's going to be occasional times during that period that can cause us stress or you know worry. But but we know that even having kind of just a low level of stress all the time it can it can have an effect on the baby. That doesn't mean it's completely deterministic that, that we know therefore we'll have a baby who's damaged by it. And that's really important to say. But I think as you said, Marina, it's taking time to be aware of what is it like being 15 weeks pregnant Uh, what am I doing or 20 weeks 35 weeks do I need to plan for having time off work am I being kind enough to myself and giving myself the chance to relax um, enough to be ready for this baby am I being um, uh, yeah allowing myself to become a mother actually I I definitely find on the
1: bump class you know being around women in their third trimester one of the first classes we do is listen, let's take a look at what our bodies are doing just to grow a baby. Mm. And this isn't a doll we're growing. This is a live baby (laughs) with a brain and and a spleen and a liver and all these organs you yourself are growing. Absolutely. And all of this is going on in your body after you've got up in the morning and you've gone to work and you've sorted your house out and you've supported your husband and you've done all the things that 21st century women feel that they have to do. And it feels like that's the first time someone has given them permission to take it easy, to slow yes. down and to yes. realize that yes. you do need a bit more sleep, yes. that you can't be racing around. And I think that a lot of women, they get to that stage and they get more tired. And rather than thinking, oh, yeah, it's because I'm pregnant, they get angry and frustrated mm. because they aren't as dynamic as they used to be. Yes. And often just having that conversation makes them think, oh, yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> I don't need to be superwoman. That's right. I can also be tired and exhausted and a bit emotional. And I can also ask my partner or someone else to do something for me. I can ask someone to get, sit up, you know, stand up and give me their seat on the tube. British women feel very
2: guilty about that. Do you know, I was that. just thinking about the tube because I think actually it's about learning something that a lot of us haven't learned. If we are working uh, and we've been competent and getting on with jobs and all sorts of other things that often we have to start asking for help and support and we don't like it. You know, a lot I of us really don't like and it. I find that particularly hard. Yeah.
0: And I think it's really useful for women who are pregnant to understand that it's not just the physical strain, it's also the emotional strain that is potentially having an impact on the baby, which is relatively new research, isn't it? Yes. And have they looked at, you probably know, have they looked at women who have had very stressful pregnancies, who've lived in war zones or who've had um, serious grief experience? Yes. And, yes. and, and 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 found a definitive link. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yes. and, and yes. I think I suppose it's important also to say that then that link doesn't necessarily carry on if your baby is then no, born into No, it's still not a, deterministic.
2: Yeah. You know, there are still ways of helping and ways of changing things because babies, the thing is, of course, a fetus, just like a newborn baby, is incredibly malleable and vulnerable to stress, but they are also very adaptable to things that go well. So we know also about um, something called epigenetics. This is an extraordinary thing if you think about it. This is, if you like, the genetics is the hardware of the computer and the epigenetics is the software. epigenetics is about how genes get switched on and off by good experiences and bad experiences and actually babies are very adaptable so if a baby is you know growing in a pregnant woman in a place where there is a lot of stress and a lot of worry they will be developing in a way to cope with that environment so certain genes will be switched on or off in order to help them adapt to that environment That you may, you know, that in a way, that sounds um, a strange thing, doesn't it? But actually, it's very helpful for that family and that community, and so that happens
0: for all of us. And that happens throughout our lives. Our genes, as we all know, are determine determine to a large extent uh, the outcome, but absolutely not all. And environment is so important. And the uterus is just that first environment that our babies have, and then the environment through childhood, adolescence, adulthood. Yes. Uh, you know, until our death is it continues to be important in how our genes are yes. activated. I'm aware that, you know, we t- touched upon this, that,
1: you know, what happens to us while we are pregnant is largely out of control. What we do in response is, is within our control. So yes. I suppose, you know, I've, I've, I, I had a girl, I think, on the bump class the other day who'd, who'd recently lost her mother in the last final weeks of her pregnancy. And obviously that's that's a horrible experience to have. And And, you know, I would not want anyone to be listening to this thinking you know, what can I do? But actually, it's more about making the time, potentially seeing a professional to cope with your emotions, not brushing them under the table, not thinking, it's fine, I can cope with it, I will just put one foot in front of the other. Exactly. But actually addressing their emotions or their anxiety or their grief or whatever it is, and seeking help. Or... I mean, I found after, um, after I experienced the stillbirth, I actually found mindfulness really important. Taking 10 yes. minutes in a day, and yes. I've never meditated before, ever. And then someone said, oh, there's this app that you can, you can download um, called Headspace. And I thought, what, what can that do? I mean, surely, you know, you want drugs to sort of stop you being anxious. But actually having that 10 minutes to myself in the day made a huge difference Mm. to my anxiety levels and my sort of short-temperedness
2: yes yes and for some people it might be yoga for some it might be going for a swim going for a walk something that connects you a bit with breathing your body the physical experience as well as the emotional experience they're linked aren't they our mind body experience yeah I've had I've had patients that I've seen in pregnancy in a high level of anxiety and then years later I hear about the kids and the kids are doing fantastically well so of course you can find ways of managing things even when it feels terrible
0: I suppose it's also about just being cognizant of your own emotions and accepting that there are emotions there and if you're feeling like you're a bit anxious when you're pregnant thinking well why is it And are you a bit scared of the birth? Are you scared of being a mother? Is that to do with your own parenting experience of your parents? Yes. And try and explore that a little bit and see if you can help understand, help yourself understand why you're feeling anxious.
2: That's the reason often that I find when I see families, see mums, dads, that their own experience of being parented may have been triggered by becoming pregnant for the first time and the feeling of I want to do something different from what my parents did or how will I parent when I had such a bad experience of being parented? Or it might just be a small thing, but, but it, it really brings up issues in ways people don't expect.
0: Or it could be the other way around where they've had a, a wonderful uh, experience and am I ever going to be able to do it as well? Yes, and absolutely. absolutely. and so that also can about relinquishing out. control.
1: You know, a lot of women before they've become pregnant you know they they've sort of studied hard they've got the job they want yes. found the man they want or the partner they want yes. they and then you know sometimes they haven't been able to get pregnant and they've realized that they yes. are vin- invincible but also realizing that you know it, it's a great level of pregnancy however talented or successful or wealthy or privileged mm. you are rubbish stuff happens to people whoever you are and and often that vulnerability is the first that they've experienced and that in itself can be quite a big thing to get your head around.
2: Yes, managing uncertainty, can't plan it. There's a book about parenting which is around thinking about the carpenter or the gardener and the carpenter route would be having an instruction manual that you can follow and then it'll all turn out fine. The gardening model might be much more about recognising that it's about providing soil temperature the warmth the light the nutrients the richness of experience but actually you're tending something that's growing it's not you it's separate from you you have an amazing role in being involved in this other being Um, but there isn't an instruction manual which makes some of us very anxious actually all of us very anxious (laughs) Um, uh, but we can we can think of it more in terms of, of horticulture, if you like, or gardening. And I think that's lovely because also you don't know ever how
1: your plants are going to turn out, no. and sometimes they just astonish you in that little yes. plant that you didn't think was going to survive or didn't <laughs> didn't think was going to be a particularly beautiful flower suddenly blossom. And I do think yes. your children, as as they grow older, they. They turn into people and they say things that are wittier than you could ever have said. And you're like, but you're only five. How can that happen? (laughs) But Uh, also
0: understanding the concept that the outcome is going to be different and you have no control over that. And if you're a carpenter following an instruction manual, you're expecting the outcome to be exactly the same every time you do it. And that simply isn't the case Mm. with with parenting. Um, Mm. And you can do exactly the same thing twice, one year after the other, and the outcome can be completely different. And, that's and actually, that
2: yes, and that that's what babies really need from us to say, gosh, you're like this. Be interested in what this child is like, yeah. because then they're, they're not what we expect. Yeah. And if we can allow them to be who they are, wow, that is just an amazing gift to give our child.
0: Yeah, I think that's and that takes us on nicely to how can we support our newborns and babies mm. um, in in those early few months of life and, and A lot of people think, you know, babies are born and all they need is is to sleep and to feed. But that's far from the truth, isn't Mm, it? Yes. It's difficult because they're kind of blobs when they're born. They can't really (laughs) see
1: that well and they don't smile. And they, this is sometimes, you know, they feed and they just are, but they aren't much more than that. (laughs) But that's totally wrong, isn't it?
2: (laughs) Well, it's amazing, isn't it? Because actually they are, if we kind of, you know, all of us can just imagine being in this, newborn being who doesn't even know where the edge of their body is yet they don't know where their fingers and toes are they can't see beyond the face of their mother or their father they they you know everything is new they don't know what the feeling of hunger actually means they don't know what the feeling of tiredness or or anything means and and so we are helping them in this extraordinarily dependent moment which doesn't last that long, though. When you're in the middle of it, it feels like it is absolutely forever. <laughs> um, but actually, in those moment by moment experiences of the baby, we have all these opportunities to give them an experience of being listened to, being of of us trying to understand what it's like being him or her. Is this a baby who is very sensitive, and the smallest noise makes them jump to the roof, or? Uh, Is this a baby who actually quite calmly goes off to sleep wherever they are? Babies are different. It's not just what you do uh, to them. It's not just that you've done it well or not well. They are very different in their experience of the world. So what they need from us is to be interested in who they are. When they're very, very new, to respond immediately. They need us to come in and feed them or change their nappy or pick them up. Um, there's some lovely research showing you know if you manage to pick your baby up very quickly in those first weeks and months in the second year of life they will be a lot less needy of us picking them up and coming to them because they've developed a sense of security and trust Mm -hmm. that life is all right and if I need someone I will have their presence they'll be there for me
0: and I think I think that's so important and also so important to distinguish that from that every, when a child is upset they always need picking up you know it's, yes. it's about learning what that need is it doesn't mean picking them up every time and, and for right. them feeling like that's the only way to achieve security emotionally yes it's looking listening understanding what that need is yes. and responding in I suppose the least interventional way you can to yes. allow them to feel comforted so something around and allowing them to learn what they can manage
2: little by little by little mm. when they can self-soothe Uh, having a process of working that out and giving them the confidence that they can manage things. What's quite interesting is that, you know, the first the first, uh, you know, two, three, four months babies um, actually want their experience to be kind of met and matched very quickly. Whereas when you get to three, four, five months, they are beginning to be quite interested when things aren't quite as they had wanted. They're quite interested by things not being quite right, almost, in in quotes, quite right. Mm. You know, the frustrations. They're ready for managing more of the frustrations and the waiting. They're beginning to know, oh, right, this means I'm about to be fed. I can survive a few seconds, maybe even half a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, ah, this means I need a nappy change, you know. Uh, they begin to know what it is. It's no longer a feeling of, I'm about to die. I think a newborn baby, you can see, mm. there's a feeling of, can I survive? And that's why mum's get so anxious because they have got a baby saying I can't survive they are putting those feelings into their mum and saying do something with these feelings Mm. so at the very beginning the intensity and the exhaustion uh, you know that that mothers are managing particularly the mothers of course fathers hopefully are involved too but often it's the mother which is why I'm talking about her to kind of match the intensity of that experience and get hold of it is wow exhausting because babies really don't know whether they're going to survive the next minute Mm. but that changes quite quickly
1: so obviously, so picking them up is, is, is something that's really important. How important is talking to them right from the word go? Because obviously they yes. can hear in yeah. utero already, can't they? Yeah.
2: Well, And also they know your voice. And I don't think people always realise that. But, you know, uh, that, the nice thing, actually, for some this works, some it doesn't. But talking, singing whilst you're pregnant... Um, the baby knows your voice, she or he knows who you are. There's a lovely thing, there's something called the neonatal behavioural observation, bit of a long word, but at the ENBO, offered by the Brazeldon Centre. And one of the things that we do with that, which is a very joyful way of connecting mums and babies, dads and babies at the beginning of life, is finding out, observing, uh, actually, that this baby can, can see you, wants to turn their head towards you and your smile, wants to turn to your voice. You know, really learning what this baby can already do um, I still have people who come and say but they can't see at all yet can they and and really to know yeah they, they can see you they're interested in you your face they're well, that, interested in them that. is the most
0: fascinating thing yeah of all. you know in the uterus yeah. they've seen really very little uh, <laughs> slightly blurred through the um, yes. flu. and then the yes. distances between you know a mother feeding her baby or uh, anyone feeding the baby it's that distance that they can see and that's what they're utterly fascinated yeah your facial movements yes. the expressions the sound of your voice. Um, and then it obviously develops from there.
2: Exactly. There's a lovely book called The Social Baby by Lynn Murray, if anyone's interested, just in terms of these lovely pictures of the way mums and babies and dads and babies connect. But that's, that's really what it's about relationship development. This is what newborns need.
0: Yeah, and even from the newborn stage, before you get that first smile, certainly before you're getting those laughs, you know, you need to be talking to your baby. You need to be giving them as almost like a monologue of what's going on in the day, what's going on in your head. Even if you sound a bit nuts. Even if you sound a bit, you can some people say, "I feel I feel a bit crazy talking to a baby that doesn't Mm -hmm. understand me." But but it is important, isn't it?
2: And actually, babies get the tone of your voice. Mm. And as you begin to name things and say, "Oh, you're a bit tired, aren't you? Come on, let's let's go for." asleep or you're a bit hungry oh it's going to be all right you know they hear your voice they hear the tone and they begin to associate quicker than we realize that what the words mean and so you're already beginning the process of helping the child know what these feelings are what they mean and what we might be able to do about it isn't yeah, that great
1: I remember so well when you know my son was probably about 18 months old and he was crawling around and he didn't say anything he didn't really say any words. And then one day I thought, I wonder how much he actually understands. And I said to him, Ludo, get me that tractor. And he (laughs) crawled over and got the tractor. And I suddenly had this massive realization that every conversation was being overheard by
0: this little silent creature that was just taking it all in. And it was actually a bit of a shock, I've got Mm. to say. Mm. And they understand and comprehend so much quicker than they actually can verbalise. Um, and I, I see that often when I'm doing the checkups for for children in my practice. And, yes. You know, they'll do their one-year check where maybe they might say the odd word, but they understand most things yes. by that stage. Yes. Yeah. Interesting when you were giving that example, Catherine, you were sort of using that sing-song voice that we use for babies. And everyone does it in all uh, in all languages, Absolutely. you hear that's a sing-song it's voice babies. and we do it automatically. Mm. And what's what what's that all about?
2: There's some wonderful research, um, for example, by Colin Trevathan about this sing-song and the back and forth and it's what babies need from us we also change our faces i mean you know people listening can't can't see our faces but we're kind of (laughs) making these big expressions aren't we whilst we're doing these voices you know this is we are responding to what babies need they connect in that way the research that i mentioned this extraordinary um things that we can find by recording a conversation between a newborn and a parent there's even a, there's a, there's a clip on the internet this kangarooing between a dad and a and a premature baby where he starts a conversation with this baby and you know he goes ah, and the baby goes ah, and and it goes back and forth and actually the timing of these conversations even with newborns has a rhythm to it already
0: so isn't, isn't that, that way extraordinary? Teaching our children to talk, or the start, the beginnings of communication—they're doing
2: it. It's kind of there. Yeah. You know, babies are up for it. They're ready for it. And in a way, one of the things I think we sometimes miss out on is giving babies enough time to, to, to respond in their time. Yeah. So, in a way, to ask a question to a baby, or to say "How are you?" and then wait, let them respond. Or people may have seen those lovely little videos where. Um, you form four hour old baby and a mum or dad pouts their lips at the baby and if you wait the baby will mirror they will do it but you have to give time yeah you know wait for the baby's time
1: yeah one of the things I always mention on the bump class is, especially when the baby's first born, is that they have that first hour where they're often very alert, their eyes are open yes. and, and I always sort of explain it like it's a massive shock being born. I mean, they were like they thought the uterus was the world and then suddenly they're out and they can see properly and hear and they're like, Wow. Um And I always say to parents, don't be too quick to allow the outside world in. Don't suddenly start, you know, sending texts to all your friends and family and interacting more with your phone than you do with your baby. You know, make the most of that precious hour. What wonderful advice. But I think I think the problem is, is that we have these little supercomputers that are constantly in our pockets. They are omnipresent. Mm. They are really addictive and, and kind of quite fun to play with. And I think, you know, we talked about how important it is for parents to be looking and engaging mm. with their babies. You know, a baby that is never smiled at will never smile. Is that true? That well, if no one ever smiles at a baby, they... It- it's certainly part studies of studies in the sort of mm, Romanian
0: orphanages in the 70s and 80s, and and certainly you know this. It, it uh, I think it was definitely showing that trend of you know, much um, later development. Michael
2: Rutter's research on the Romanian orphanages yes. is shocking in that what 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 you see is a development of autistic-like features and ways of relating, so that there is a you know there there are heartbreaking descriptions, and you see it in orphanages that exist now in in countries where there isn't the potential to form a one-to-one relationship with an attachment figure you know what we call you know bonding and attachment and what you see is children going and cuddling the the outside of the the soft microphone of the cameraman um uh, and the sound man rather than going and cuddling someone because of a, a, a real human contact so so the damage is very severe in in those very severe situations where children literally don't have the opportunity to do what we're describing, Mm. which is the ordinary, often messy, chaotic uh, business of beginning to get to know your baby Mm. amidst all the other challenges of life.
0: But I suppose one of the, you know, going back to Marina's point, one of the very easy mistakes to make as a new parent is you know a mother has to be around her baby all the time when they're little you know you, you can't just leave them for hours on end and before when they, we didn't have the distraction of these uh mini computers in our pockets mm. it, it you'd either sit there doing nothing or you'd engage with your baby and you're always going to choose to engage the baby because no one wants to sit there doing nothing yes. but now we can very easily be yes. totally engaged in our phone for yes. the three hour period between feeds when your baby might just be looking at the you know looking around and yes. not engaging with the baby that's very easy to do it is
2: and it's easy to do that I think whilst you're feeding yeah and um, so in a way it takes a conscious effort and maybe that's partly something to do in pregnancy or or at any stage these things are never too late we can do it with our children at much older ages it's it's a question that carries on isn't it what to do with the addictiveness of smartphones and computers make a choice making a conscious choice about how do you want life to be? Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm, so, I'm definitely,
0: mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, a, f- a couple of years ago, I said, right, if I'm doing bath time, I'm leaving my phone downstairs. Because if yes. I'm not, it's so easy just yes. to have a look at something that pings on your phone. Yeah. And if it's downstairs, out of the way, you can properly engage with your children. You can enjoy it yes. um, so much more
1: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: I'd like to say something else about the hour when the baby's born and this moment of Skin to skin contact, if all goes well and you're able to do that, and having that time of alertness and beginning to bond. Even to extend that as well, really think about when you invite visitors into your family. Some cultures, mums are allowed to go to bed for a month and be looked after. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, actually, when you look back and you think, actually, to really have a chance to start bonding with your baby. Uh, Other people cook, clean, look after you so that you've got the support around you and around the the, the family unit, whoever else is in the family unit, to really start that process, um, to be in bed, lots of skin to skin contact, Mm -hmm. uh, learning how to feed, which is quite a task, whichever way you do it.
0: Um, and of course we're not talking about being in bed 24 hours a day, we're talking no. about being at home, in yeah. your pajamas, yeah. sleeping when you need to sleep, feeding when you need to feed. Yes. And in a
1: safe environment, you know, where mm. the outside world can be kind of harsh, you feel a bit judged I think sometimes as yes. a parent, there's a lot of pressure to push the right buggy and to get rid of your bump and all of these things, whereas if you're in that home environment, it just feels like life is potentially a bit easier.
2: And it maybe gives you the message that this is a different time in life you can do it a bit differently for a while you know you can get off the busyness for a while allow yourself i mean partly it's about self-kindness isn't it Mm. being kind to yourself and saying i'm allowed to do this and actually my baby will really benefit if i do this yeah we've talked about babies picking up on sort of positivity
1: um I certainly, I remember very well pushing my, he must have been like four months old, son in a buggy. And I was, I was not having a fight with my husband, but we were definitely having a, a, a stern discussion, shall I say, and, <laughs> um, and his behaviour totally changed. I mean, we we don't really fight. Mm. Um, but his. He, I remember he immediately started crying. There was nothing to make him start crying apart from he noticed that yes. the vibe was different. Yes, he and the it really upset him. Yeah. And babies are much more astute than we Im- yes. imagine potentially, yes. aren't they?
2: Absolutely. And I think actually it really helps when I see couples who are really having difficulties. and And it's common. There'll be plenty of people listening. Uh, it's a common issue. That transition that is massive. It doesn't mean marriage problems.
0: It just means that you're both tired and snappy yeah, and short-tempered. Absolutely. It can just be, you know,
2: uh, uh, but I think when people think actually it matters to think about when you have those conversations and that maybe you can choose and people can be really good about then saying, oh, actually we can, we can talk about that when the baby's asleep or not there. Mm. It does matter.
0: One thing that I often get asked by patients when they come to see me with their newborn babies for checkups, is, you know, uh, you know, I really don't want to end up with a spoiled child. I don't, you know, ha- can I spoil my baby? Is there mm. too much um, respond- responding to their needs that I can do?
2: And um, mm. what would
0: you say to that? I think it's really
2: helpful to hold on to the fact that y- you can't spoil an infant. If we really hold on to what we're trying to do, which is to help relationship formation. And relationship formation isn't just about having a nice time with somebody. It really is the foundation for later health. Mm. That's what we know now in terms of physical and mental health. So if you hold that at the centre, at the very beginning, the way that babies are picking up things is, is, um, is on a very moment-to-moment level. Um, so at the beginning, it's really about giving them a sense of trust that they understand what's going on inside them and that you're going to respond when they need it. Mm. Now, little by little... They begin to have that trust. And then, of course, you know, in ordinary life, we, we can't always respond to the feelings that our child has at that moment. But they begin to be more able to manage that. And sometimes they won't manage it very well. You know, a friend was saying, you know, the other day about their, their, their son who who um, just completely lost it just before school. And what do you do? You know, as a parent, you think, oh, the time, what am I going to do? I've got to get out of the house. How do you find a way of being empathic to the feelings of that child whilst also knowing that life has got to move on at that moment Mm. so so depending on the age of the child is how you might manage it Mm. but how do you manage your own regulate your own feelings in response to that because you may be a parent who feels you wish well all of us wish we could do something about the feelings but you may feel quite annoyed with yourself that you can't get rid of the feelings for the child so then you get cross Mm. that's what some of us do how do you stay calm? Be aware of your own response? Say to your son something empathic <laughs> and say, "But we do have to go to school and we'll, we'll sort out the broken train tonight we 'll do it then. Yeah. We will come back to it we 've got to move on now yeah so that's, w- that's not so to at know. what
0: stage um, you know we need to respond to, the, to infants' cues you know, as soon as we can, or at least their their needs um, quite quickly but at what, well I suppose the question is at what stage? Could can a child start becoming spoiled? Because we all know that they can absolutely, yes, and yes. and giving a child everything they want, uh, whenever they want it is is not good parenting. Mm. Um, when does that?
2: I think if you think change, about in a broad brush around the first year. Yeah. I think you know the first year is the time, and as you were saying, Marina, you know a twelve month old baby is in quite a different place um they, understand, you know, understand, they understand they understand the concept of boundaries yeah. and right and they wrong. they get right and wrong quite a bit don't yeah. they at that age they all understand
1: no at yeah. that age yeah. they understand those and they things they kind of thrive sometimes with boundaries you oh know, goodness yes we it's as, a relief they want us it, you know, yes. sometimes you you, you, you know if a, child, a parent is always saying yes and of course that's possibly not what
2: they want. It limits (laughs) um, and boundaries are terribly helpful. They're a relief to children. They really are often. Um, to know to know what way to behave or what makes mummy or daddy happy. You know, the best way of helping your child is is to really connect into, giving them the motivation to do something that makes you pleased. They they really want to make that happen for you. So there are ways of Finding how to do that
0: with your child, sure. and sort of using positive reinforcement rather than, yes. than negative punishment, yes. and
1: consistency—just always the same, everyone on the same page, presumably—that this really does mean no, rather than yes. it means no. Apart from when mummy's really tired, in which case, if you really wind, you'll get a yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, it's yes. one of the bits of advice that I always try and give parents when they start that dis- that sort of boundaries uh, mm-hmm. at the age of about one is really think about when you're saying no and think twice about it because yes. no has to mean no otherwise your child is going to just get completely
2: and confused. also it has to be worth it yeah, so exactly. choose you know choose you know when can say yes as much as you can because yeah. we want to be able to say yes yeah. and if you can't say yes you may not need the word no you might be able to find negotiate begin the process of negotiation even quite young with oh mm. well, why don't we do this or you might distract or you might find other ways yeah. be creative with what, what the issue is um there are ways of of trying to give a child an experience of having power because they're not powerful, young children. And so to help them have an idea that, well, I can see you'd like to do that, but let's, how about we think about doing that? And pick your battles. Because as we all
1: know, being a parent is so exhausting. I think I honestly, however hardcore your job was before you became a parent, parenthood eclipses it because yeah. you never get a break you never get a holiday you never get a day off and sometimes no, you just exactly. need to be like oh, okay it's fine to have smarties for breakfast just this <laughs> once just this
2: once I think you know I was just thinking about that you know consistency up to a point but the whole the whole point about having a rhythm to life is that you break it sometimes and so <laughs> you know children treats, know that don't we we exactly. all break the rules and, and break in it in it. a good way I think there's something you know consistency isn't there to be unadaptable because we also want to be adaptable and flexible and mm. and that's what grows resilience in children
0: and especially mm. if you allow them to understand or encourage them to understand that those treats are special occasions that they are treats mm. and this is not what happens every mm. day mm. then that's that's fine it's then when the treats become normality that the problems start occurring
2: yes there's there's a wonderful way of supporting parents think about parenting called circle of security and it's both run as a parenting program but also there's a book called raising a secure child which is about this approach Um, And the reason I mention it at this point is that one of their phrases, which some people take on as a bit of a mantra, is that what children need from you is to be bigger, stronger, wiser and kind. Now, some of us find the bigger and stronger a bit easier. And some of us find the wiser and kind bit easier. So you might see that uh, you might you know if you think about it yourselves, you'll 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 have a sense of which you find harder to do. You know, if you're in a supermarket and you've got a child very stressed by the noise and the environment and has a has a bit of a, a meltdown, are you the kind of person who? um you know shouts or gets crossed to manage it or or is or are you the person who in a way I mean say you've got a child in the buggy in the buggy or the pram or in the the supermarket trolley you're walking around and they're just getting into a right old fuss and they're picking things off the trolleys and you know annoying other people are you the kind of person who can put some boundaries down Mm. that's what I'm trying to say Mm be the bigger and stronger one or are you someone who's not happy to do that and so things get worse and worse because you're trying to be kind at a moment you need to set a limit yeah. Do you see what I mean and, and, and it's not a case um, of
0: being one or the other it's a it's a it's a, mm. a case of trying to have all of those absolutely at the right times yeah that's really hard sometimes. it's
2: really hard and we don't get it right all the time and that's what makes parenthood difficult because we mm. we always feel oh you know and but, it's okay um,
1: not to get it right the whole time no one does get it right the whole time and actually making mistakes is a big part of growing up for Absolutely. us as well as our children so sort of not feeling guilty about not getting it right the whole time mm. i mean we we sort of really started talking about toddlers now which is as we all know is very different to that sort of um, infant stage when they hit around 2 mm. i mean they're constantly called the terrible twos and it's where their own feelings their feelings intensify they suddenly become very opinionated about things
0: yes. so this is sort of from the age of 1 really isn't it i'd mm. say the infant is up to 1 and then, once they start walking, toddling around from one. Yes, I two, guess. I mean,
2: yes, absolutely. Mm.
1: And how do we cope with those intense feelings? You know, if your child is have i, I remember being floored by it this total meltdown and lying on the floor and and banging their hands on the floor i remember always slightly wanting to laugh because my son would sort of have a tantrum but very gingerly get down so he didn't hurt himself <laughs> but still lie on the floor like banging his fists on the floor mm. and kind of part of you does want to laugh laughing is probably the worst thing you can do at this stage
2: because <laughs> it's just so ridiculous yeah. i mean i suppose one thing is trying to really see it from their perspective What's it like being this 18-month-old or this two-year-old? The world feels like it's going to fall apart because they can't wear the dress they wanted to wear or the shoes they wanted to wear because there's snow outside. See it from their perspective. This is this is awful. You know, what do you mean I can't do these things? And if we see it in their, from that perspective, it can help us maybe to have a bit more empathy in the moment and go, well, they are only two. Or as children get older, you can even start saying to them, oh, you're behaving like a... F- three-year-old you're behaving like a, yeah.
0: oh that's because you are a three-year-old <laughs> or, or you know um how, children how find that very amusing then sort of co- cope with those emotions that i mean it, i mean i've always thought that so acknowledging the emotion helps doesn't it with the child you are you saying I can see that you're feeling really frustrated and wouldn't it be lovely to go outside on our princess news but it is snowing and that's not going to be a good idea yeah rather than don't be ridiculous we can't go outside absolutely it's it's about the
2: being with feelings be with the feelings know what they are sometimes we minimize them because we can't bear our children to be having bad feelings Mm -hmm. and sometimes we don't like them And there might be particular feelings that our own parents found it hard to support us with. Mm -hmm. And often they're the ones we find the hardest. There might be some we find easier than others. We might find joy easy or difficult. We might find anger easy or difficult. You know, Mm -hmm. have a look at what what you grew up with. Mm -hmm. So when your child is having that feeling, you might really want to get rid of it. And actually it's to say, hold on, I know I'm not comfortable with this feeling, but I can do something different for my child and I'm going to be with it. And what's interesting is, again, research shows that if you try and fight a child out of a feeling, you don't get there any quicker. Trying to persuade them, no, you're really not feeling that, you're feeling fine, doesn't work. Um,
0: I think we all get quite worried, don't we? That yeah, if whole you say... The don't be silly thing. You know, we yeah, say don't, them, don't be silly. And actually that is belittling their feeling. Absolutely. Because it doesn't feel silly to them to be so no. upset about... Imagine if your
1: husband no. said, oh, don't be silly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You'd be
0: very frustrated. Exactly. Whereas actually saying... I think this is what you're feeling and that doesn't feel good. It's amazing with how the quickly that will often calm a toddler down. Uh, a lot of parents haven't even thought about acknowledging yeah. the feeling and, um, and doing it, they they suddenly sw- they can often yes. suddenly switch off from yes. their temper tantrum. Yes,
2: it really can cool. work and it begins to give them the language for yeah. what the feeling is. Sometimes, of course, that doesn't work. Mm. And um, it's something I think can be quite useful is to think, move a muscle to move a mood get out of that room, go somewhere else. Um, If nothing is shifting, and they are well and truly in something, walk, walk down the street, depending what age they are, whether you're carrying or pushing, go with it. You know, if they're in the middle of a tantrum, you can't just stop it, put up with what people are saying or thinking or looking or watching find a quieter spot, maybe, Um, you know, move.
0: Yeah. Mm. And and sometimes a sort of bit of silliness or a bit of, sort of almost fantasy, you know, so saying wouldn't, you know, your child doesn't want to go to school, wouldn't it be lovely if we could all just have a day in bed today? And But that's not possible, <laughs> you know, sort of making it a bit more... Um, on their side a bit more rather than that battle of wills humor
2: is fantastic yeah. isn't it uh if you can find humor if you can find yeah. it at that moment that's, that's, a <laughs> bit. that's the tricky <laughs> bit but I completely agree doing something really silly or ridiculous and that can completely shift the atmosphere and that's the other amazing thing about children one minute they can be screaming and upset the next minute they're fine and you're kind of recovering uh, <laughs> but they're all right and um I
1: think as they get older too, they very often have these emotions and they have this big tantrum and then they sort of recover from it and then they feel a bit embarrassed that they've had these emotions. And that's obviously quite an important mm. thing for them not to feel embarrassed about. Yes, yes. I mean, I remember saying once to one of my children, I remember feeling that too. And I'm really angry about something that now seems really silly, but we all feel it. It's that sort of admission that we're all vulnerable and we all make mistakes and we all sometimes say the wrong things or react in the wrong way and that's okay yes yes. rather than sort of making belittling them and making them feel embarrassed about it yes
2: yes i think actually that makes me think about you know in a way talking about parenting one of the things we could do is turn it all on its head and say parenting actually is showing our children that we can mend things that go wrong we can repair things that's that's a huge thing to show your children but we have to learn it too.
0: Yeah, and not trying to be the perfect parent. Admitting to your child yeah. as well when you yeah. when you when you've done something wrong. You know, if you've yeah. shouted at your child and regret it, for, you know, a few minutes later, you can you can say and you should say yeah, to them, say "I'm sorry. sorry, I shouted at you. Yeah. That was wrong of me." Mm. And that's a very important lesson to teach your child. I think yes.
1: Well because also I think a lot of children find it hard to say sorry I mean we've all been in the situation where one child does something mean to the other and you're like say sorry and they go sorry and you're like no like you mean it sorry and then there becomes this whole thing say sorry say sorry say sorry. And actually a bit like all parenting, we need to lead by example, don't we? So if mm. they see us apologizing to them, if they see us apologizing to other grown-ups, to our partner and, and having, and sorry is one of the hardest things to say. I know adults that find it hard. Yes. Just get that, that word out. And sometimes I do. I'm like, Marina, like, just say it. Just say, it. you know, it's the right thing to do. And it's still hard to do. Mm. Whereas if as, as parents, we can encourage and lead by example and not be ashamed then that's probably one of the biggest benefits we can give them.
2: Oh it's a huge one you know I see sometimes in my clinic you know I see young families and babies and mothers and fathers but I also sometimes see adolescents and an adolescent who says to me you know my mum or dad they never say sorry and you know they could be heartbroken about that that there isn't that ability to be honest about getting things wrong mm. and it really helps to, to, to learn that process and begin to well, it's part of it. the
0: being stronger that you talked about. You know, it's, it, it takes yes. strength to say so. It sorry. does. Yeah. Um, and and I often also have parents, especially new parents, who are worried about their children not liking them if they if they've set boundaries or, or or said no or given them an answer they don't that the child doesn't mm. want. And they think, but the child's going to hate me for it. Mm. And there is this sort of social media thing of my mummy and daughter, and we're best
1: friends. And and I know mm. there's been you know mm. quite a lot of a lot in the media about you know you're you're the parent you're not meant to be their best friend it's difficult that relationship but what's your opinion what's your view on this
2: you know boundaries I think
1: children do they
2: do appreciate having parents and that that and by parents someone who looks after them and who keeps them safe decisions that they don't always like yeah makes decisions yeah I spoke to a friend and asked what can you ask your five-year-old what they think they really need from their mum and their dad you know what 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 are the what would they say you know what what makes what makes it feel good you know when you're with your mum or dad what 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 do you need and um this little girl thought about and said hugs that was the first thing now that's that's a parent hugging you it was uh but also being able to hug back I think is what she was talking about so it's connection relating we've been talking about. The next thing she said was, making me nice food. (laughs) Again, that's being looked after, isn't it? Having an environment in which you're thought about, you have food that you you like, you know, that your mum or dad knows you, knows what you like, um, and that you share it. And then the third thing she said was, um, this might sound a bit funny, uh, but obstacle courses. (laughs) And... (laughs) I thought it was quite interesting and I talked to my friend about what what was behind that and I think what was behind was that that, um, obstacle courses are things that she just loves at the moment and um, it's something that her mum or dad has to think about setting something up for her that she will find funny, that they'll delight in together that the parent has to do it as well and jump on the bed or go under the cover. Um, and it gives also her some control around uh, something that goes on between her and her parents. She's, she's the one who's saying, let's do it like this, let's do that. And children don't often have control in life. Um, so it's, it's about delight and fun. So those three things, hugs, nice food and obstacle course, which I think cover three areas of what children do need from being parented.
1: And it makes me think of, of one thing I never expected to feel when I was a parent, but the fact that sometimes my children are wiser and cleverer and see things that I don't, and I can learn from them. And I think, you know, you're so used to sort of mothering and parenting and being the one in charge, you sort of sometimes think, well, they, they, I'm the one that teaches them, not that they're teaching me. And sometimes if you open up, that great method of communication if you sit and you know have a proper chat or often walk I find walking is brilliant time to chat or when you're doing something like coloring or sewing or something um and they'll say things and I'll just stop and think god I could never have thought about it like that and it's sort of like this revelation and so really just creating an environment in which your children can surprise you yes
2: there's a wonderful technique called watch wait and wonder which Encourages us to do exactly what you're talking about. Just to take five minutes or ten minutes, maybe once a week, uh, where we sit with one child, just one at a time, and it's their time. They know it's their time. Phones are off. No one's going to come and knock on the door. Um, and you follow the lead of the child, what they would like to do. Be interested in their. Interest of that moment, whether it's coloring or doing something together or going for a little walk, and and it's amazing what can come out of that. And the watch bit is simply to allow yourself to to see, to watch, find out who who is your child right now. You know what what's going on for them right now. Wait, give them space, and if they ask you to get involved, join in. Wonder, wonder out loud. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's what that's about, or are you building this? You know, with a much younger child, you might be building a tower older child might be coloring a picture and children very quickly realize this is special time and start maybe finding a way of telling you something it doesn't have to be you know particularly serious or 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 momentous the point is it's it's part of developing that attunement between you and your child um very ordinary thing to do some of us i think think that we can all think Oh, ten 10 minutes isn't enough or how do i make that happen um it's part and of the actually, same you, idea I, really
0: um, we try and i try and do that uh, in the evening for, with each child and and it's amazingly they really respect each other's time as well they're very happy to to mm. not interrupt you and and get on and do something on their own mm. while you're with the other child mm. um and yeah. and they value that so much yes and like you say it doesn't have to be a deep discussion or yeah. something important it's important to them in that moment and that's enough yes yes This has been brilliant. I have so enjoyed having this conversation. The
2: one
1: thing I'm sad about is that that I didn't have this conversation when I was (laughs) was pregnant for the first time just because I think there's so much food for thought about Mm. what really matters and everything you say makes sense but I think sometimes these sentiments are quite difficult to come to Mm. on your own especially when you're anxious and tired and and stressed and busy. Mm. Um, So hopefully listening to this podcast has been really useful um, for for lots of people. Mm. Yeah. Um, you, uh, Catherine has recently set up uh, the Parenthood Pregnancy and Family Service in Harley Street in London at the Priory Wellbeing Centre you can find out more information at priorygroup.com uh, just search on the website for PPF and the page will come up Catherine's also uh, involved in something really exciting. It's an innovative peer support app called Circles um, in which people can support each other.
0: Yes, I've, I've used this for a few of my patients who found it really amazingly supportive for lots of different um experiences and it's where you can connect with uh, a small group of mums online who are going through the same experiences and challenges as you and the idea is that it is just a safe space for you to be honest about what you're going through with people that understand and are going through the same thing so i think the website is www.findcircles.io have a look at that
1: and it's one of those i mean we sort of bitched about phones a bit in this podcast and the distractions <laughs> but actually it's one of those those instances that actually modern technology really does help us
2: it does seem that it's really a way that we've found to to make something positive of of social media the the responses from mums using it has been really fantastic people saying that actually the, the permission is le- is set in a way to mean that they can talk honestly And often we know as meeting, you know, when you meet other mums, you may not tell people actually how you're feeling. And this gives you a chance to do that and also find out a bit uh, about techniques that might help you do something a bit different and hear about other people's experience. And most of all, know that you're not alone. There are many other people who will have had feelings like you or have them right now. So reach out.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you listeners for tuning into this episode of The Parenthood. A bit of a favour to ask before you go. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do take a moment to review and rate us wherever you get your podcast from. The more people that do this, the easier it is for listeners to find us. And we want as many people listening as possible. We've had such great feedback from the episodes we've done. Parents who felt that we're addressing the issues that no one else tackles. Do also follow us on Instagram. We're at theparent.hood. There you'll get information on new episodes, but also the opportunity to let us know what you want us to record next. But in the meantime, thanks for listening.